Okay, thank you guys, thank you choir, thank uh, all of you for taking part in worship this morning, and we pray the Lord uh, be honored and glorified and, and uh, his name would be uplifted today. If you brought your Bibles, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 7, and we'll look at Matthew seven twenty-one through 23, and then 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 23 through 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. The most important issue of our lives is really knowing God and being certain of eternal life. Really knowing God. A lot of people say, well, I know God. No, do you know God? Does God know you? Do you have a personal relationship with God? And so the most important issue of our lives is really knowing God and being certain of eternal life, that when we die, we're going to have a home with Him. And Jesus makes that crystal clear in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. Just jot this down. I believe it will be on the screen. Matthew 16 Verse 26, listen to Jesus. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the point Jesus is making, if you're not right with God, if you're not right with the God of the universe, nothing else matters regardless how much you possess. That being right with God, eternal life, knowing that Jesus is your Savior, having eternal life is the most important issue of a person's life. Because without Christ, you lose everything and everyone. But with Christ, there's nothing to fear in this life or in the next life. Now, friend, there's nothing that compares with truly, and I emphasize truly, truly knowing Christ and having complete assurance of eternal life. When you experience biblical assurance, when you experience biblical assurance of salvation, that will be a turning point in your life. Now, sad to say, tragic to say, it's heartbreaking to say there are a number of people that their salvation is their salvation is biblically unfounded. The Bible teaches that some will be deceived into believing they have eternal life when they do not have eternal life. However, the Bible also reveals how we can have absolute certainty and peace that we've been saved and we have absolute assurance of that fact. 1 John 5, 13, the scripture says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Assurance. John 3, verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 6, verse 37. 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Acts 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we can have the assurance that when we die, that we'll go to heaven. We can have biblical assurance of that. Now the point is, this morning, God wants you to have a glorious assurance of your salvation that's based on His Word and not just frightening, not a frightening guessing game. Am I saved? Am I lost? I think I'm saved. I think I'm lost. See, that's a guessing game. You've got to have assurance. So first of all, if you're taking notes, God wants us to have full assurance of our salvation. However, point two, there are a number of people who are religious people, but they're lost. Worse yet, they fully believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, our text. Look at that. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say to me, notice that, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the point is, Jesus said there are many, not just a few, but there are many who are active in religion, but one day they'll find themselves barred from heaven. Tragic thought. So how can this happen? How, how can this happen? It, does God make salvation so hard that it's, it's hard for someone to understand? They said even a child can understand it. Is, is God trying to play tricks on us? Of course not. He's not trying to play tricks. So the key to, under, the key to understanding deception is found in a phrase in verse 23. Depart from me, and here it is, I never, key word, Knew you. Knew you. I never knew you. Point to remember. Biblical salvation is a personal relationship of faith and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. I never knew you. Relationship. That's why Romans 10 verse 9 simply says this. If, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now notice that verse. Let's go back just a moment, Chris. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now a better translation says this. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Now, it's easy to say Jesus Christ is Lord. It's difficult for some to say Jesus Christ is my Lord. See, it's different. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart, thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart 
Man believes under righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Confessing what? Confessing Jesus Christ is my Lord. He has all power and authority and control in my life. That's the confession. And confess with our mouth, and that confession is made unto salvation. See? So, salvation then, is a personal relationship with a person by the name of Jesus. Salvation is not a religious belief, it's not a church membership, it's not morality, but it is a personal surrender to Jesus Christ. Thus the expression, I gave him my heart, I gave him my life. You're giving your total being to him, to have, to control, to guide, to direct He's your Lord, he's your kuros, he has all power and authority and control in your life. He's either your Lord, or he's not your Lord. Now you don't make him your Lord, he's already Lord. You surrender to his Lordship. God gave him a name above every name, Philippians 2. And it wasn't Jesus, that was given to him at his birth. Thou shalt have a son, you'll call his name Jesus. God gave him another name that's above all names. And that's Lord. And that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So you don't make him Lord, he's already Lord. You're submitting to his Lordship now or you'll bow knee later and submit to his Lordship. However... You know, we have difficulty surrendering to Jesus Christ. And we have this adversary, the devil. And the devil will have you to believe that it's about some kind of religion. The devil will deceive you and he'll have you to believe it's about human works that stop short of confessing him as Lord of your life. The devil will have you to believe that salvation it's not about full surrender or personal faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So make sure that you're not a victim of the devil's deception. The deception, devil's deception is convincing some that it's about religion. It's not about a relationship. Depart from me, I never knew you. It's all about relationships. Now, the reason many are religious but lost, one, they're being deceived by the devil. Number two, I jotted down, many have a form of religion but no saving relationship. A form of religion. Now, there's a caution here. This form may be totally unintentional. Person may kind of hold a, a normal religious belief. They may be a member of a church, or maybe the, 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 the body that they attend to not recognize members as such. So they may be an affiliation with a, with a body, with a group. Church membership or an affiliation. However, they're they, they may have this form of religion, they have this normal religious belief, they have this church membership or an affiliation, but at the same time there's no indicators 
in that person that they have a saving relationship with God. They tell you they go to church. They tell you where they go to church and how active they are in church, but there's no indicator, indicators in their life that they are or have a relationship with God. In almost every case, they even have a sense of assurance that they're going to go to heaven when they die. However, the assurance is biblically, biblically unfounded. Because verse 21 simply says, Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, millions are called in this form of religion, this deception, and some, Jesus said, even being religious leaders. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal? Didn't we cast out demons and devils? Didn't we do all this? Although they're highly faithful, active in a church, they've never experienced what's known as a new birth. So let's look at this thing called a new birth real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Paul, Peter begins where it all begins, with supernatural birth. Verse 23, Peter, chapter 1, 1 Peter, being born again, there it is, being born again, this is good, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So he speaks where it all begins, as a supernatural birth, the key word, supernatural, you can't explain it. God gives it, God forgives you, it's all supernatural. No one understands it, but you can experience it. And with this supernatural birth comes this complete belief and trust in God's Word. When I got saved, man, after I got saved, I trusted in God's Word. I believed God's Word. I still believe God's Word. I trust in His Word. I believe it's infallible. I know it is the Word of God. So there's no doubt. There's no unbelief in the Word of God that the Word of God is the Word of God. So this new birth brings with it, first of all, scriptural belief, and the new birth will lead to, will lead to a scriptural behavior. You'll see that on chapter down in chapter 2. Not only does it give you the scriptural belief, but it also gives you a way to behave if you're born again. That's important. So the new birth changes the way you act, do business, how you conduct your life, it changes you all together. The, the Bible magnifies this new birth. John chapter 3, you've heard it. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a person by the name of Nicodemus. John chapter 3, he says, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. John 3, listen, to, if you will, at verse 3. Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, very religious person, more religious than any of us here. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old and enter the second time into his mother's womb? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The new birth. The point is, if you'd like to see the kingdom, 
Nicodemus and us, if you would like to see the kingdom, if you'd like to go further than that and you'd like to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. He didn't say you've got to go to church, you've got to be baptized, you didn't have to take all these ordinances, you didn't have to live right. He says you just got to be born again. Don't think born again is not important. Very important. So this new birth helps us to see and to realize the impact of the gospel in a person's life. The Bible affects every area of our life. The, our spiritual maturity affects how I, how I think, how I behave, what I do, where I go, what I say. That affects my life. The Bible affects my life. So notice 1 Peter 1.23 mentions being born again. He starts out by saying that. He's saying being born again. Being born again. That word being, some translations use the words have being born again. Being born again. By, it's, it's, the Greek word there is a word that magnifies the results of being born again. If you're born again, these things that follow are going to happen in your life. So being born again. So Peter's referring to something that is dated. You remember when you were born again? Mike, the guy sang about it a few minutes ago. I remember when you saved me. Or we sang about it together. The praise team led us, and, and I remember... And we'll remember, and we remember when God called us and God saved us. That's a time dated in our lives. I remember when I was 11 years old during a revival at, at Rockwood Baptist Church. I don't remember the preacher's name, but I do remember the Holy Spirit convicting me, convincing me that I was a sinner, and without Christ I was going to hell, and drawing me to Him, to Jesus, and I stepped out and walked down an aisle and told the preacher, Preacher, I want to be saved. And I was born again. So the new birth occurred in the past. It's dated in the past. But let me just say this, it has ongoing results in your life. How do I know after 54 years that I'm saved? How do you know you're saved? Well, your new birth still should be having results in your life. Some might say, well, I got saved 20 years ago, but, but I've just been living away from God the first 10 of the last 10 years. I'm just away from God, really? It hasn't affected your life in 10 years? You claim to have experienced something that has no effect on your life for 10 years. Friend, let me tell you something. The Bible knows of no new birth that has no ongoing results in a person's life. The point is the new birth is a former event that has continual results. If it's not working in your life now, you need to check that out. Notice 1 Peter 23. This, this is good. I'm going to have to hurry again. But verse 23 says this. First Peter. Let me get back over to Peter. First Peter 1 verse 23. He says, being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. You don't know where you lost or saved? According to what seed you have in you. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed. 
it is being born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Now, some believe if you're born into a certain family that you're automatically a Christian. If your parents are Christian, you're a Christian. However, there's a problem. Every, everyone born into that family was born of a corruptible seed. I mean, Billy and Algie Taylor had a son named Sammy. Billy and Algie are dead now. And I'm the matriarch of my family, and, and if Jesus Christ tarries, I'm going to die too. I'm going to die also. I married Judy Williford. We had two children, Corey and Kyle. But one day, Sammy and Judy, we're going to die, and we're no longer going to be here, and Kyle and, uh, Kyle and Corey are going to have to carry on. And then one day, sad to say, my children are going to die. You know why? Because we're born of corruptible seed. Every generation of the tailors will die. Why? Because we're born of corruptible seed. But notice verse 23. He that is born again is born by incorruptible seed. Isn't that neat? He's incorruptible seed. Jesus Christ, why is that? He'll live forever. So you're born of corruptible seed. But the new birth, you're born of incorruptible seed. So it is a big deal to be born again. Because you're born of incorruptible seed. So the seed represents a source of life. This incorruptible seed. So the question, what is the seed? Well, we know by power, uh, parables in the Bible, the, the, the word of God is the incorruptible seed. In contrast, here, here in contrast, God initiates a human birth with corruptible seed, and God initiates a spiritual birth with the incorruptible seed. So how do I know that, that I'm going to live forever? Because God has placed an everlasting seed within my soul, that incorruptible seed. Here's the point, verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 1. For all flesh is grass. You're grass. I'm grass. All flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man. You think you're something. It's, you're just like the grass. <laughs> That's what he said. You're just like the grass. The grass. The grass withereth. You're like the grass. The grass does what? Withereth. The grass does what? The grass withereth. The flower thereof, it falleth away. My goodness, we think we're really important perhaps, but we just like the grass. It's here for a while and then it, and then it goes away. Everything that grows from natural seed is of a sovereign creation of God, but it dies. The grass, the flower, man. But sinners born again by God's Spirit they live forever and forever and forever and forever. This is because God uses this abiding, this abiding and perishable seed, the word of God. Look at verse 25, and I'm about through. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the word of God, either the spoken word or the written word, that's the imperishable seed. 
Wayne Gruton said this. I, I like, he's theologian. He said this, and I liked it. He says, the implications for evangelism, the implications for sharing the gospel, the implications for evangelism are obvious. Ultimately, it is neither our arguments nor our life's example that will bring new life to an unbeliever, but the powerful words of God himself. Some people say, well, I don't share the gospel. I just live my life before people. You ever heard that? Your life won't convict anybody, my friend. It has to come from the word of God. The point is, they'll never be converted by the way that you live. They'll be converted by the story of the way that he died for them. No one can be converted without the gospel. The birth, death, resurrection of Jesus. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing of the word. Look at verse 24. He says this. All flesh is grass, all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. So, when did you experience the supernatural birth? The only way to go to heaven and live forever is to experience this new birth. The new birth. Now, how do you do that, Brother Samuel? Well, the Holy Spirit draws you. He's drawing some of you here today, perhaps. He's saying you're lost. You're without a Savior. You're going to die. You're going to go to hell. Whatever that preacher's saying up there, that's true. He's, he's taking it from the Word, and it'll always be here, and it's true, and you're going to be judged by it one day, even. And you may think you have your way of going to heaven, but there's only one way to go to heaven, and that's through Jesus, and that's a personal relationship with Him. And so you repent of your sins, you turn from the way you're going, and you turn to this person by the name of Jesus. You place your faith in him and him alone because, see, he's the object that can save you, period. Nothing else can save you, period. Only Jesus. So God wants us to have full assurance. A number of people are religious, but they're lost because the devils deceive them, and they're having a form, they have a form of religion. But you must experience a supernatural birth, born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. You say, Brother Samuel, how do I know I'm saved? Well, real quick, saved people have this, have a genuine conviction of sin. And God convicts you. You just can't stand it. You have to give over because you have this conviction of sin, John 6, 44. So before you're saved, you have to realize you're lost. How do I know I'm saved? Well, most saved people can describe a before and after time. The Bible says um, something, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So there's a before and after time. that we. It, what that simply means is if your life hasn't changed, then you, you, you've never been born again. And number three, Christians possess this supernatural assurance. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. If you want to know that you're saved or lost, ask the Lord. He'll let you know. 
and then forth. There's this loving heart. There's this, this person has this loving heart and a genuine love for the church and the people of God. Those are, those are ways you can know that you're saved. This morning, let me ask you this. Would you be willing? You're here today. You may have, you may have been deceived by the devil. You may have a form of religion. You may be a member of this church and been through all of this stuff, but yet you've never been born again. And Jesus said the only way you can see the kingdom, the only way you can enter it, is to be born again. You repent of your sin, turn to this person by the name of Jesus, place your faith and trust in his birth, death, and resurrection, and soon coming again, ask him to forgive you, come into your life and save you, and he'll do just that. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Father, thank you for a time that we can come together, hear your word. And now as we come to perhaps the most important part of the service where people respond, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will convict of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And then when the invitation is given, we'll have an opportunity to examine our heart and see, Father, if we've been deceived, if we have a form of godliness, a form of religion, but not the power thereof. And, Lord, that if we've truly been born again. And so I pray you speak to hearts today. Other decisions that will be made to unite with the fellowship of our church, to serve here, to, to go out from here, Lord, to, to witness, to share the gospel locally and around the world. I pray that uh, they'll come. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's going to lead us on.